Welcome to Small Subjects, Big Ideas About Miniatures and Modeling. I'm Jim DeRogatis in Chicago. And I'm Barry Biediger in Salt Lake City. How you doing, Barry? Uh, okay. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm excited about this show because we have a great interview. And for the first time in, what will this be, episode 11? Uh, yes, that's right. For the first time in 11 episodes, we're going to talk about our true passion in modeling, in figure modeling, in diorama building, box dioramas. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're going to interview Nick Infield. Nick Infield, fascinating character. Um, I'll introduce him in a second. Um, you know, you and I, uh, as big fans of Cue the Bell, Shepard Payne, um, you know, got sucked into this world of the box diorama. And uh, we have been running for, I don't know, a decade, uh, boxdioramas.com. This was one of those Shep ideas. Sitting around with Shep, this was always a danger. He was going to give you a project. <laughs> there really should be a website that, you know, rounds up all the box dioramas. <laughs> That's a great idea, Shep. Yeah, you will you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> and Daryl Audette uh, volunteered, actually, to get it running. I think first Shep had that conversation with our friend Daryl in Canada. But Daryl uh, knows nothing about web uh, building. <laughs> so it fell on you and me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I just did an update to the site this week. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's great, man. There's a lot of cool um, stuff. You had a lot of neat stuff. A, a lot of cool stuff. We have galleries for the artists who specialize in diorama building, box dioramas. And we've been getting these emails from around the world. Australia, Italy, uh, Spain, Greece, uh, Japan. And throughout the U.S., uh, you know, hello, I found your website. I love your website. Can I send you pictures of my work? Mm -hmm. To which we always respond. Of course. What do we say? <laughs> of course. Please. Please do. Yeah. You know, so it's this community of box diorama builders. Because websites are now square compared to blogs, which are square compared to, like, um, social media, which everybody's obsessed with, um, it, it, it hasn't had as much back and forth. You know, every once in a while, you or I will get a, a query from a uh, box diorama builder uh, to be, you know, saying, I don't know how to start, or I don't know how to deal with lighting, or I don't know how to deal with this, which we always are happy to talk sure, those things through. Of course, through. yeah. You know, it's it's part of the hobby, this camaraderie. Yeah. Um, but it is a great resource. There are a few uh, boxes in the world of uh, uh, historical or fantasy miniature that aren't represented up there. A few of the uh, modelers uh, doing these that we don't have uh, present. And, uh, you know, tons uh, even from uh, museums and from uh, private collections. How did you get interested, besides Shep, we don't have to ring the bell. No, again. I'm done with the bell. How, how anyway. did you get interested? Huh? Speaking of the bell, I'm I'm done with it already after one episode. Well, because I think I yeah, that's I'm just, true. I'm done. Seriously, I, I'm. Are you? I, Is I it know, a cliche? Well, I know you said no. It's not that so much, but I, I think I'm back to where you were a couple months ago. You know, if if it bothers people that we talk about Shep, f them. Um, I don't care. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Wow. I mean, if, if cussing there in Utah, if, if you want to have a podcast where um, our greatest influence isn't discussed, then make your own damn podcast. There you go. Right. And good luck to all podcasts. Absolutely. Um, you know, at some point, um, 
obviously I had uh, maybe, I don't know, 50, 60, maybe 100 hours of tape of Shep to do my book yeah. uh, with Shep. And uh, at some point, we'll just let Shep speak for himself. We'll go back and clean up that audio. And, uh, you know, I, you know, for a year and a half, two years, Shep and I had lunch once a week. And so sometimes there's a waitress in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> Taking his order. That adds to um, the ambiance. You know, yeah, yeah. So, so that uh, I guess I'm in a particularly cranky mood. But um, you've had a rough week. There's this idea that gets a little, starts to get a little old to me. That, well, that's old stuff. That do, that's not relevant anymore. And let's assume that everything Shep did is no longer relevant. And we we can you know let's just let's just say it is just for sake of argument. Sure, and I guess Edward Hopper is no longer relevant, right. or uh, uh, Martin Scorsese, uh, Rembrandt, or, uh, Rembrandt, uh, yeah. n- n- you name it, right? So yeah. this idea that the Ramones, the Ramones, <laughs> uh, Bill Haley on the comments, yeah, 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 uh, but the idea that <laughs> we're standing on the shoulder of giants is important to me, is it? it mm-hmm. I remember back when I was in grad school 20 years ago, and, uh, and I have to um, uh, mention also I didn't finish my master's, but I did go to grad school. I was going to say, grad school, I, didn't, I forgot that if I ever knew that, but you didn't finish. I, I, okay. did, I did everything but the damn thesis, and I, I wow. kick myself to this day. But our professor who was teaching research methods... Dr. Contuli, we go in the first day. Oh, sorry. It was actually the second class, and we had been assigned 10 papers to read. Just this unbelievable amount of reading, and people were complaining about how much reading. And then somebody piped up and said, yeah, and half of this stuff is just garbage. That's, that's, mm. These people were stupid. And I remember <laughs> Dr. Contuli getting kind of upset, and he said, first off, you're in grad school. Get used to the reading. Second, the, pe- the things you're reading now might not be completely up-to-date, and this might not be where, where we are, but the, the reason I'm having you read this is to see where we came from. And without yeah. that stuff that you read, you wouldn't be here. So that's how I see that. And again, you know, maybe that won't be in the show, but I, I firmly well, believe I think- that we... We have, there's no reason not to revere what came before us. Well, keep it in the show. Uh, I agree. There's no reason not to, especially, you know, we are largely uh, fans of history, students of history. Um, You know, so it's odd to hear that criticism. I don't know where it's coming from that it gets under your skin. Well, a lot of it is the ageism that we're seeing recently. Mm. And, And it goes both ways. Because I hear older people complaining about millennials nonstop. I work with some millennials that are just damn fine people and great workers. And it gets yeah. a little old, and I hear the other, the other way. I mean, millennials call me a boomer. Boomers call me a millennial. They completely forget that there's a generation in between, which is... Generation X was us. Yep, and that's the most forgotten generation. It's the most appropriate thing ever that they forget that we're there. 
But well, you know, I sat with Kurt Cobain. Yeah, we were both Generation X. Uh, I interviewed Kurt. Um, you know, there were mere seventeen million members of Generation X, sandwiched between I don't know, they were sixty something uh, baby boomers and sixty something millennials. Um, you know, and so there was five minutes in the sun, and then and then it was over. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, not I'm laughing at something that's tragic, really. Um, uh, nevertheless, uh, there we were, and I wouldn't want to be a boomer. I didn't want, I didn't feel any, any, uh, kinship with, uh, Clinton or Bush, the second. Um, and, uh, you know, we haven't had many Generation X people in positions of power or authority, and now it's the millennials. And I, you know, hey, I've been teaching now for 12 or 13 years. I've had plenty of excellent millennial students yeah. in which I saw the spark of young Jim or Barry and, uh, uh, great for them, and now we got now we got Generation Zoom. That's right, yeah, the Zoomers, you know, which is yeah, the Zoomers yeah. is what some, you know, you know, everybody rejects a generation. We we kind of embraced X because it was like, you know, it, it was the XU one two XU as right. Wire said. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, that is a relevant point. Standing on the shoulders of giants, you do love REM, and number two. Um, Great art is great art. That's true. You know, whether it is a century old, half a century old, or, hey, let's go to Greece, okay? (laughs) You know, I went to Pompeii. It was one of the most mind-blowing experiences of my life. Are we supposed to, because that was the first century AD, we're supposed to say, oh, nothing nothing good came out of Pompeii? I don't don't know. Um, You know, great art is great art. Um, you know, Shep would be the first, we've said many times, to point out methods change. He was fascinated in what you were doing with LEDs mm-hmm. and what I began to do with LEDs in box dioramas. I've repaired some of his uh, most famous pieces, uh, four of them, on display at the Wyeth Museum. Mm-hmm. And I fixed up uh, Gun Deck of the Victory uh, for a collector who's now passed, Dan Bird, uh, replacing those old automotive light bulbs with LEDs, okay? You know, Shep was never mired to the past. A great artistic vision um, is is timeless, uh, whether it it comes tomorrow or came uh, 50 years ago. Right. Anyway, we have a great Shep gallery uh, on BoxDioramas.com, and one of the artists uh, that we have, uh, in addition to Shep, is another uh, fine, fine box diorama builder. Really, he has made his name doing boxes, Nick Infield. A few more sentences uh, about a box diorama before we get into chatting with Nick, and then we'll give more of our thoughts afterwards. You know, it it ain't rocket science. It's a diorama in a box. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It can be a very big box. I remember as a kid going to the Museum of Natural History in in Manhattan, right? I lived across the river Mm -hmm. in Jersey City. And, of course, there are life-size dioramas of um, primitive men and nature settings, and it was just fascinating to me that the fake backdrops and the forced perspective and the lighting mm-hmm. and these, you know, and then of course when I, we, you know, many kids build box dioramas in a shoe box, right? I had to do that. Yeah. I was a little more ambitious. I think when I was in eighth or ninth grade, I was going to do a box of the Alamo. And I had these uh, tailor shears that had been my grandfather's. He had been a tailor. Uh, they had to be 18 inches long. And I you know, was not paying attention to how I was cutting my cardboard. And, and off came the tip of my finger. Oh, my God. <laughs> really? They, they stitched it back on. Yeah. Wow. 
I know you get squeamish uh, with thinking of blood, so don't think of the blood. Um, maybe that was, anyway, that was I, Santa Ana's revenge, maybe. It, it could have been. It could have been. You know, it was the one the Mexicans won. And, um, you know, and then I saw Shep's boxes, I think in Campaigns magazine initially, and these pictures. You know, even the two-dimensional photograph sucked you in in a way that the finest photograph of the finest diorama like his in the monogram tip sheets i didn't there was something about these worlds that that were in about have you thought much i know you have which is why i ask you hmm. rhetorically about about what it is that makes the box diorama so fulfilling a to the viewer and b to the creator i think um unlike a lot of things where i have no idea why something is effective i think i have a pretty good idea of why box dioramas are and, and it and it's it, it's the same thing that makes them impossible to photograph. Uh, effectively. They are very difficult to photograph. You have to photograph them at home, taking the frame off, um, and, and that just and, gives and you a good picture, a good two D representation, which which might be yeah. interesting, but it's not the same effect as seeing them in person. Because it is not. to me, the most in, uh, the biggest thing they do is uh, they give you this feeling that you are looking into another world. Yes. Into a miniature world, and and you you get sucked into, or you you can believe for just a second that there is this little world outside of where you are right now that you're looking into, and you're and that you want to crawl into and explore, right, right, right. yeah. It's it's kind of Doctor Who. It's kind of Time Machine. It's kind of uh, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what our podcast is. You know, Barry and Jim's Excellent Adventure. After yapping about Shep, um, I have a confession to make. I was not really all that uh, taken by his box dioramas at first because I didn't what? I didn't see many of them. The first one I saw was in his How to Build Dioramas. The uh, what is it? The meeting of the of the Admiralty Board, right? Oh, the Admiralty Board, which he did a, a an article on to show you how to do a diorama yeah. step by step. Which was interesting, but that was the least looked at part of the book for me. I just wasn't that interested in it. Well, it was stock figures, mm -hmm. you know, which is unusual for Shep. Yeah. But he was trying to make it accessible for anybody. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't but, see but his still. box dioramas for ye till years later. Probably wow. the 2000s. I mean, they just weren't... Where did you see them? I didn't see them anywhere. Well, there were other pictures of the boxes in the two dioramas books. I remember a tiny photograph of the Voltigeur's Idyll, right? Where was that? Um, that was in... That was in either the first edition diorama book or the second uh, hmm. box dioramas. And, and it was just... Um, there were no figures, right? There was one leg. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> In a stable, obscured by the uh, the horse, uh, uh, what do you call that? You're from the West. <laughs> I've, I've never been the on horse. a horse. Well, the horse corral the horse or something. I don't know. Corral, yeah. In, in a stable, obscured by everything, yeah. lots of hay. You know, the Voltigeur's equipment is hanging from a post. Uh, you know, the Shaco and the and the gun belt uh, or the cartridge belt. And then, you know, this lady's naked leg mm -hmm. is sticking mm -hmm. out. It was mm -hmm. wonderful. You know, and Shep, uh, I mean, that, that was his first foray. And uh, he dismissed it. Oh, there wasn't even any lighting in there. And we subsequently found in progress photos. Yes, there was. He'd just forgotten. <laughs> you know, but I remember uh, the tomb of Frederick the Great. 
uh, being, I was fascinated by that and, uh, and the Hobbit box, you know, the Hobbit box, uh, again, a stock figure, but a stock figure in front of a Hobbit bordello. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I, I, you know, obviously I'm fans of all of them, but I remember seeing these pictures in campaigns and in his box dioramas book or his dioramas book. And then, uh, obviously when I worked on the book with him, we went back to the photos of everyone he did and that was just fantastic yeah, yeah so, so you became a fan though you, you it didn't strike you at first then when did it hit you i you know it i i've said this before but at, uh, about uh oh maybe what 15 years ago or 13 mm. whatever um uh john long started making he made a couple of these scenes or a single figure even that was just partially enclosed by a cigar cigar box yeah, cigar box diorama. Yeah, um, and one was a miner, a coal miner. I don't know if yep, you remember yep. seeing that. I remember that. And um, they weren't really what you would call box dioramas because they were just partially enclosed. It was it was more like uh, the backdrop was just a bigger part of the scenery than usual, or or a a thicker frame than usual, a shadow box. Yeah. Uh, what, what do they call those? Uh, you know, you go to the uh, Joanne Fabrics or the Craft Store. I think that's a shadow box. Uh, that's a shadow. Yeah, box. and more like that. Just setting a scene yeah. Yeah. partially inside of a box, and they just. It was fascinating to me. And the idea of putting a figure in a box scene started to interest me. And that's when I went back and started looking at the box dioramas. Uh, Nick Infields, wow. Sheps. Yeah, Sheps. And that's, that's when it started uh, to hit me that they were, it was an interesting medium. Dennis Levy. Uh, that's that's pretentious to, to say, a medium. I feel like, God, isn't that pretentious? Oh, it's a, look, we're, we're wasting uh, time and effort Sorry. on this podcast. Uh, it is art. You know, we're, we, well, you and I disagree. You, I, I just think it's what the philosophers call a deterrence machine for you. You, you just are afraid of sounding pretentious. I've been a critic and a professor my whole <laughs> life, so I don't worry about sounding pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He says, laughing at himself, the laugh is what's important. Um, what makes it rewarding for an artist? I'll go first. The fact that you know, in a three-dimensional diorama or vignette or even a single figure, you can't necessarily control which angle the viewer is looking uh, from. Mm -hmm. um, in a box diorama, everything is under your control. In a regular diorama or even a figure or a vignette, you know, you can't control the lighting. Uh, we have been to shows that have had great lighting. We've been to shows that have had awful lighting. Yeah. We've even talked um, with the MFCA's virtual show in 2021 how difficult it is to photograph and control the lighting. And, you know, uh, you can get a good photo. You can get an awful photo of a good piece or a great piece or a bad piece can have a good photo. Okay. Here, everything is in our control. The angle of viewing what is seen, what isn't seen, the lighting, which is, to me, it's, it's, as, uh, it's as if I have another element besides painting mm -hmm. added, added to my artistic quiver, yeah. if you will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it really, to do a box diorama where you're not playing with the lighting is almost pointless. I mean, that's the whole joy of doing a box. Right. The viewing yeah. angle. And, and then, you know, there's, there's many sophisticated other tricks, you know, forced perspective and, and what uh, Dennis Levy and Nick Infield called the gag. We'll talk a little bit about that mm -hmm. with Nick. But what, what is it for you? Uh, what makes it uh, 
Yeah, what makes it rewarding? I think uh, probably what is the most rewarding part of it to me is the surprises that happen as I'm designing one. It mm. might sound kind of strange, but every time I do a box diorama, a box vignette, I will be testing out the lighting with our cardboard, you know, mock-ups and, and whatever, and something will happen that I hadn't thought of when I was first planning the scene, and I, yeah. and I include it in the scene. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Me too. Happy accidents yeah. is what Brian Eno calls that. Yep. Do you want do you want an Eno bell if we've retired? No the way. Chef, no, I'm done with it. We talk about what we talk bells. about and people can right. just live with it. Well, we're gonna air the Dennis Levy interview at some point and he actually brought his own bell. Yeah, if we're gonna use a bell, it should be that because he uses a cowbell. That's great. But, All right. Yeah. Um so I have now done I was astounded when I counted it up. Uh, they're all on boxdioramas.com. I've done 17 oh box dioramas. Wow. And of which I only have six in my possession. Hmm. I have either sold uh, the others or uh, uh, given them to friends. Hmm. Yeah. Who've asked me for the work, and I've been flattered. You, have, you and I did one trade. You have How seven? How many have you done? You have seven still? I have six. Six. Oh, okay. In my possession. I have seven in my possession still. Uh-huh. But I've only and built done, nine. Built nine yeah. and have seven. And I have one. Yep. And so, Bill Merkline has the other one. I, I traded him. Oh, that's right. He painted an yeah. airplane for me. We're going to be talking to Bill yeah. in an episode yeah. very soon as well. We will. Wow, I've done nine. Anyway, your pieces inspire me, chefs inspire me, and so do those of our guest. Nick Infield is... Uh, a wonderful British chap, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's the right, who came up in the punk era, started out working in rock and roll as a roadie, found himself uh, uh, drawn to video sets, which led to the film world. He is now based in California, where he is a focus puller, or as some people say, second assistant cameraman. Mm-hmm. I looked that yeah. up because I had to figure out a uh, focus puller. So Nick works in the film world. He was in Chicago for a month or six weeks in the middle of uh, uh, the film crews uh, voting on that uh, contract revision. Mm, it's a tough world. That's right. Yeah. You, you, you can have eight, you know, uh, eight 16-hour days in a row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you got to be on call the next morning at 4.30, 5 o'clock because these are long days. It's expensive to set up the set. You know, the actor or actress sits in, in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the crew was out there working 16 hours. So Nick was in the middle of that, but we had dinner here, and you zoomed in, and we had a fantastic chat with Nick, who is primarily known for box dioramas, hence uh, our first box dioramas episode. Yeah, that was fun. Let's listen in to our chat with Nick. All right, we are thrilled, uh, Barry Biediger, to have uh, in the house, literally, this is the first uh, guest that's actually been at my place. Won't it be fun someday when you're here as well? That would be fun. We could do this in person. But Nick Infield just came over for dinner, and we've been wanting to interview Nick. Uh, So, Nick, welcome to Small Subjects. Yeah, welcome, Nick. Hello. So, you know, this is this is truly a treat for us because I feel like all three of us are brothers in the box diorama world. Truly. <laughs> it is a small fraternity, but an ambitious one. And truly, you yeah. have been an inspiration to both of us, Nick. 
Um, so why don't we start in general how you got interested in miniatures, and then we'll talk about boxes. Well, originally I was just a kid building plastic models, just like all of us, really. Um, also, growing up in a very wet climate and a single child, you know, an only child, you tend to gravitate to self, you know, self amusement. Exactly. <laughs> um, were you were you growing up in London? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right in the middle. So uh, you know, I built models from an early age, mm-hmm. um, right up until about thirteen, fourteen, and then other interests took me. So uh, yeah. Uh, I didn't actually really get into scratch building until I moved to America. Mm. And what what was it that sparked that interest then? Well, I'd always converted at that point, but there was always something about conversions for me that just didn't look... They looked too stiff. Yeah. They didn't have the fluidity. And then, you know, seeing other people's work, you know, where they take parts and add wire armatures and then fill it in with putty, that was... That was a game changer for me. Yeah. So that was the avenue I took. So uh, early on, was it like Hysterex, Airfix? Oh, Airfix and Hysterex, definitely. Yeah, Actually, yeah. I worked for Hysterex for a very short time in Paris. Really? Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> I ended up in Paris and I knew Gilet. I went and saw Gilet and basically, you know, started working for him as an apprentice. Mm. Just for a few months, you know, um, and it was lovely. It was really lovely. I learned a lot. There is a magic in that stuff. Jim, you hold on, Jim. So I don't know if you remember this conversation, but I I was telling you that I saw a photo credit for Nick on a Hysterex catalog and you didn't believe me. So, So now do you believe me? No, I don't believe that I never believed you. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> yeah. So you were photographing for the catalog. Those no, catalogs no, were amazing. No, actually, no. I, I didn't do anything except the, I forget which catalog it was. Um, I took a picture. Uh, at the time, I was living in London, and I just sort of got into photography. Mm-hmm. And um, I was learning. And I did a sort of a tabletop picture with uh, one of um, Pierre Conrad's trumpeters and some paint and other bits and pieces and the picture was good enough uh, Lynn Sangster of Hysterex agents you know who pr- produced those catalogs yeah uh, took the picture and shoved it on the back of one of the catalogs ah. so yeah it was I forget which one it was now a very long time ago though. yeah but yeah. I didn't actually do any of the photography of the figures okay inside the catalog um, it was purely on the back of the catalog was that the photo you were thinking of Barry that's absolutely the photo I was thinking of it was a Republican guard figure and that's it Tubes of, tubes of uh, Windsor Newton. Which I've still got. He's got this encyclopedic memory, Nick, which is good. It is know. good. Uh, it comes in very <laughs> handy for our purposes. So when did boxes in particular become a thing for you? Oh, Shep. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, now, Barry, he mentioned him first. 
No, that's fine. That's fine. I don't know if you saw the comment on Facebook that uh, I think it was Rob Herring. He said, I got an hour into the episode in the Shep drinking game before I had to take a shot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but he was a huge inspiration and a friend uh, to both of us. Absolute guru. Yeah, he was. So so you saw the artistry of those boxes and you said Now, that's something to shoot for. Well, you know, also I have an unfair advantage because my career uh, allows me access to all kinds of materials, knowledge on how to do certain things regarding lighting, um, also theatrical effects. Yeah. So, you know, shadow boxes are miniature theatres in many respects. Yeah. And if you execute a box you build it like a miniature theater if you go into a theater and look up you'll see all the rigging points and wings and everything that happens on the peripheral edges and the shadow boxes are the same way mm-hmm. we're just miniaturizing something like that mm-hmm. um and the same with the effect side of things uh you know you do layers to give depth mm-hmm. and backlight those layers, you know, put them on what they call bubbernet, which is, you know, a, a translucent black material, but, you know, you can glue stuff to it, like mm-hmm. trees. Yeah. So if you want to simulate a forest on stage, you'll do three or four layers of that, but you'll backlight each one. Suddenly you've got the depth of a forest mm-hmm. uh, within a stage area. Yeah. So I find a shadow box or any kind of diorama or a bit of, you know, stage recreation yeah that's half the fun for me in many respects well your day job is as a cameraman for film and television actually my day job is what they call a focus puller focus puller yeah okay. i mean a, a, a film crew is an orchestra yeah so and just like the string section a camera department has an operator a focus puller, a dolly grip, obviously a cameraman that gives you, you know, does the lighting. Mm-hmm. And then we've all got assistants that come behind us that help us do the job. So we are very much an orchestra, yes. How did you get into that? By accident. <laughs> I am actually not kidding. Um, I, uh, I was in rock and roll for many years and then I changed careers and a friend of mine gave me a job as a darkroom technician in London and one thing led to another and I ended up by running a studio uh, that shot cars Mm. and um, in those days the music video companies couldn't really afford uh, film studios so they would use you know large warehouse spaces or photographic studios Mm. to do their shoot their videos and I got into an argument with my boss and the producer from the music video company saw it and heard it and offered me a job. <laughs> and that's how I got into yeah. the film industry. Yeah. So, and no more sleeping on the floor no, after a 12-hour no, drive no, on no, tour with the band. Uh-uh, none of that. Now I just fall asleep in the crew cab on the way to car park. <laughs> So, so, so what did you do in the rock and roll world again? I used to put, you know, just a tosher. I used to put, push stuff around and end up, ended up by putting lights in the air. Okay. Did you have to ever sit up in the ring? Oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. yeah I interviewed uh, some guys who did that once, and it was, I said, what do you do if you have to go to the bathroom? You and don't. They, you don't, yeah. <laughs> you don't. And, and uh, there's all kinds of stories about things like that. I'm so, sure. Yeah. I, you know, you could have peed on Sting. 
Well, there's a story about a Barry Manilow concert mm. in oh. London <laughs> at, at the Royal Albert Hall, and uh, which is a very high building anyway. Mm. So the truss actually sits a good 40 feet above the stage. It's a long throw. And, uh, you know, Barry, Barry Manilow has a very set schedule and the spots go on and off very cue-like. Well... Uh, <laughs> One night somebody got sick, so they had to send a replacement in. And this fellow turns up, and he'd been on some heavy metal tour, and he hadn't slept in days, and he was probably coming down from something anyway. And he's up on a spot over Barry's piano, and um, you know, Barry gets up, and the spots are supposed to go off, and he walks down to the front of stage. And the spot doesn't go off. Mm. And the lighting director is number three spot switch off and doesn't switch off. And of course, everybody in the trust is looking at him and he's asleep in the chair. <laughs> and, and he's 40 a, or 50 feet above the exactly, stage. Exactly. And yeah. he's rather rotund and he hasn't got his seatbelt on and he's slowly wow. slipping out of the chair. Yeah. And of course, now it's getting down your number three spot switch off. And now they can hear him communicating with them because it's a nice, nice, quiet, soft Barry song. Yeah. And he's looking up at the trust wondering what the hell's going on. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the image of this large, Roadie landing on Barry's piano in the middle wow. of the gig sort of flashes into everybody. <laughs> they did get him awake before the the inevitable happened. <laughs> what is, that would have been great, though. I mean, rock I and roll history, I think. That rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Nick, if any amount of money is worth having to sit through one Barry Manilow concert, well, let alone yeah. a tour. <laughs> Sometimes you have to do it for the money. I yeah, don't know what else to it's say. Work. It's work. It's <laughs> work. Yeah. Well, I have a special problem with Barry Manilow. He's responsible for a very unfortunate childhood nickname for me. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. So rock and roll yields to the film world, and and what was it just coming to Los Angeles? That's where it is. That's where the work is. Well, yes. Actually, I ended up in L.A. just because of work. Uh, I came out to do some Olivia Newton-John uh, videos. So, so now you've been. What was it? The scams, or, or what groups uh, got you involved? Well, more with I them? did go to scams. I mean, that was probably the first time I got back into things um, and saw what people were doing because mm-hmm. I was just putting kits together. Yeah, and um, that changed everything. I mean, you know, I I haven't touched a kit since. Yeah. Uh, everything for me now is scratch. Yeah, uh, and I just I have like the, I did when I did the creature from the Black Lagoon. I used I found a kit, you know, a, a model of the creature at the Chicago show some years ago mm. for like ten bucks, and I grabbed it and I thought, oh, I'm going to use that. Mm-hmm. Because quite frankly, I couldn't sculpt anything better than that. Mm. I forget the chap who did it, but uh, really a lovely piece. So yeah, I suppose I have touched a kit, but. You know, on the whole, everything I do from here on in, I make. Yeah, well, I think an underrated aspect of your work is uh, uh, the scratch building, right? I mean, the cameras, the scenery, um, you know. uh, I mean, you're really good at taking little bits of wood and brass and and making really Mm -hmm. elaborate things out of them. Mm -hmm. You you know, there's no armor model who's got a thing on you. You know what I'm saying, Barry? True, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. In fact, I was going to say, I, I, I've i always been fascinated by how you geek out on movie equipment. Yeah. 
and you're the only person that does that. And I, I just, well, I'm probably I the only one that. in the community that understands the gear apart from anything else mm-hmm. and has mm-hmm. access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I did the underwater housing for the creature, uh, my fr- I've got a good friend over at Panavision, one of the top guys there, Kenick, and he knows the guy who owns the housing. <laughs> so I got to go and see the housing. Yeah. So I have access to, you know, all kinds right. of research for that. Um, and often as not, I can go and photograph the camera that shot the film. Right, right, right. So, you know, I've got all that going for me. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that stuff is readily available online now. Mm-hmm. But to mm-hmm. actually see the physical piece in front of you, you know. The first time I was at Shep's house and he said, pick up that musket, he was criticizing, you know, a, a Napoleonic uh, figure I was trying to do. He, he was like, you know, you don't understand how heavy that thing right. is. And then you hold it and you're like, yeah. And then to see this thing that they went underwater with yeah. to film the creature. 120 yeah. pounds. Wow. You know, just for the housing before cameras went into it. Yeah. So it had flotation tanks on it, buoyancy tanks. And I mean, it was a specially designed for that film. So it was seeing Shep's boxes and this interest in the theatrical world and the lighting uh, of, of filmmaking uh, brought it together. Which box in particular really sparked your... Of Shep's? Yeah. Mm, that's a hard one. Um, Mr. Christian I like a lot. Mm. And um, yeah. uh, Sleepy Hollow. Mm. Uh, Two of the more underrated ones. Not not as popular, but, you know, there's something about those, the lighting and the taste of them and the timing. Yeah. Um, there's also a piece he did for Wyatt later on in life for The Captain as the Skeleton. Yeah, I like that yeah, one yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. Dr. Sin. Dr. Sin. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously the most popular ones, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, they're all marvelous. I can see a little nick in each of those three pieces you talked about. Yeah, yeah. there's something yeah. about there's something about the you know the capturing of the right moment. Yeah. Um, about Mr. Christian, definitely with the dead, you know, bread plant. <laughs> the de- yeah. You really have to think about that one for a minute. It's great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, and he has so much emotion in the central figure, but we're looking at his back. You know, that's an interesting thing. You know, it was an interesting choice. Or the gardener with the watering can. Right, right, right. You know, it's just, it just, it it was a perfect capture of things for me. I got to go into Dr. Sin because the Wyeth Museum owns four chess boxes and the the lights had burned out, you know, the old automotive lights. So it was uh, me and Daryl Audette and uh, Mike Cobb, and we spent three days in Chad's Ford fixing all the biodiversity, bringing them up to LEDs. I was going to say, do right? you replace them with LEDs? Yeah, yeah, yeah we did good. so because, you know, they have them on display in Wyeth's workroom. You know, you can see the, his studio, and he had them there. Um, but what was fascinating about Dr. Sin is there were two or three things that Shep had tried with the lighting, obviously, because there were... Uh, unconnected lights there uh it it, it was encouraging to me it's just like even he tried things that didn't work you have to you have to i don't know what else to say i've seen some of the world's top cameramen Mm. relight sorry this isn't working Mm. so that's just part of the part of that world yeah you know not everything you do takes 
is done right the first time. And you have to be willing to start over. Oh, Two, yeah, times. very yeah. much so, very, very much so. Um, I always found it easier for me to build a phone call sort of test uh, before I build the actual piece, just to get the angling and the sizing, and just an inkling of where you want your light to fall. Mm. Um, and also where you're going to, you know, hide your power and things like that. Right. And hide your gags because you don't want to see the gags. Yeah. So I find that very useful to build a phone call sort of test. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't necessarily have to put any accoutrement in it. Oh, it's, it's folly to start a box without messing well, around with cardboard and uh, foam core first. Yeah, I, I've, I've done follies before. <laughs> <laughs> Band on the Titanic so, I tried, and that, I had to shelve that, unfortunately. What didn't work? Well, you know... You, Basically, exteriors are really tough mm-hmm. when you're coming into boxes. Uh, your sight line problems are more acute. And, yeah. you know, the, the more I was building it, the more I could realize I could see down towards the bow yeah. and up towards the stern and there's something over working. the superstructure. <laughs> so suddenly the box was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and the... The, the opening was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Right, right. And I just mm-hmm. said, no, this is not working. Sorry. It's always the mirror trick, Nick. Yeah, yeah, uh, there is the mirror trick, but there's, there's pitfalls with that too. Yeah. So, um, you know, especially if you're looking down the bow towards Titanic, guess right, what? Right, You know, the mirror won't work there and back and, and, then, uh, and yeah. opposing to the yeah. stern as well. Yeah. You, you can only do din- diminishing return with that stuff. Shep wanted to do a Titanic box, and uh, it, it's it's one of them that he never uh, succeeded at. There, there were apparently, in addition to the big lifeboats that took off famously too early right. and half full, um, there were these inflatable lifeboats. Right. So he wanted to do an inflatable lifeboat um, with a skeleton. That, uh, uh, that, I know. remember this. Yeah, actually. yeah, yes. And he he really, you know, and, and you know, usually he would talk about ideas he had that he didn't finish, uh, but this one really seemed to be under his skin. You know, if I could do it, and just, mm-hmm. if I could just plug a USB into my neck and spit it out, I really <laughs> wish I'd done that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a classic. Yeah. So somebody did do Titanic. Um, it was a chap. What was his name? Um, he lived in Arizona. He did it quite well. Mm-hmm. It was Mike McFadden. Mike McFadden, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, he did. He mm-hmm. did it quite well. Um, and he, he, you know, he wrestled that project. It's tough. It's, it's tough. a very tough project. Tough to do the same. All right, Barry, ask him about the word he used, which is a word Dennis always uses, which is one you and I talk about all the time. The gag. The gag. Got to sell the yeah. gag. Well, now, what is the gag as you well, it define de- it? Because it depends. Dennis Levy, you know, uh, our fellow partner in crime, talks at great length about the gag, but it's always, you know, to him, it, when he talks about it, and I don't think he means it this way, it often sounds like a gimmick. I use it in the respect of, personally speaking, mm-hmm. and not everybody feels this way, but I like to sell what's happening within the first blink. Mm. And that, mm. to me, is the gag. Okay? Have I... Do people know what they're looking at? Mm. When I did Beethoven, right, so many people said to me... That, uh, first of all, it, it was like, who is this? Yeah. 
It's like Ludwig van Beethoven, you yeah. know? Not the dog, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or I didn't know Beethoven died at the piano. And, or what was the other one? There was a couple of them that were like, really? You don't know who this is? So selling that gag yeah. sometimes is a little difficult because you don't know what other people are going to think. I, people did not stop to think that Beethoven was deaf and he felt the music through right. physically and so his his head is on the keyboard right. literally. Well, right. So it just it would be hard to miss on that one though because you had his music playing. I know that. It drove a lot of in fact the MP3 player got stolen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously I drove somebody gets... completely bonkers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I um, I actually know the backstory with that. I'll tell you sometime. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know who stole Nick's MP3 player? I I don't think it was meant to have been stolen. Uh, it was, yeah. Yeah, I never it saw it again. Been... <laughs> oh man! But Nick, wow. I, so see, this is where I think I disagree with you. I want to talk about this box for two reasons. Uh, but the first one, now you have to spend a little time with Elvis has left the building, mm-hmm. and and kind of crane around to see, famously, the king of rock and roll dies on the toilet, right? And, you, and that, that is not, you don't get that within a blink, Nick. Well. <laughs> I have to look in that box. True, you know, that is true. I mean, actually, that box is the only live-action shadow box ever. <coughs> you know that. Mm. What do you mean, mm. live-action? Well, if you look in the box... Uh, uh, Stephen Moyer, the man who owns it, right, said, wouldn't mm. it be great because, you know, the television was on in the bedroom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He said, wouldn't it be great if you had a flickery effect mm. for the television in the back? And I don't like usually doing physical gags yeah. because I find them distracting, you know, in a still piece. Right. Mm-hmm. But I did it because now it's a live action box. Okay, the guy's dead. But, right, he's know, not moving. Exactly. You so. know, the reason not to do movement in a box exactly. is to draw attention to the <laughs> yeah. fact that this is this picture is not moving. But Elvis ain't going anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Barry, we were having a great conversation earlier about that box. Uh, so you collaborated with Mike Good. Oh, very much so. And uh, yeah. a fellow, fellow uh, uh, color outside the lines guy. Yes, okay. very much so, yeah. <laughs> I used Freak for Penny Meyer. Yes, all right. Uh, you can use Freak for, for, I, I for Mike Good as well, yeah. Uh, so, so, but it, I cannot understand why it was controversial. But many people were, quote, unquote, offended by that yeah. box. Yeah. Oh, what can I say? It's... You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm You're not sorry. sorry. You're I, not. No, I'm not. You're right. You know, but uh, it's it's uh, why is some a miniature controversial? I mean, it's <laughs> there's a, a you know a dead Zulu at the feet of uh, you know the British imperialists. Well, and yeah, Bill yeah. Well, that's newest. perfectly acceptable. Yeah, yeah and and know. we've seen countless yeah. dead. You know, oh, decapitated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blood and mm. all kinds yeah. of stuff everywhere. Yeah, I know. And some poor sod who died of an aneurysm on the toilet is yeah. different, definitely uh, ooh, yeah. <laughs> crossed the line. Yeah, it's yeah. not like there's a lot of Elvis fans in the miniature Well, world. you know, I've always wanted to revisit Elvis because there's a lovely film, That's the Way It Was, mm. and he mm. plays the big room at the Hilton, mm. and it's like he's in his living room, mm. and he's got the outfit on, he's in his heyday, and he, he, everywhere is dark except there's a spotlight on him and he's got his hand out, and there's a hand coming up from the audience, mm. you know, just like that perfect moment, yeah, touching yeah, yeah. moment. I've always wanted to do that. Mm. 
So so you could make amends to, to Elvis. I guess so, yeah. Tennessee will forgive me at that point, yeah. I think. Well, and look, I mean, you know, we all know he's alive and well in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. With Robert Maxwell, yeah. <laughs> Robert so you, Maxwell. You, yeah. There's a good reference for the Brits. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you get, uh, did you hear firsthand uh, complaints about that box? Oh, my God. So I know I heard oh, some. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Boy, did I uh, hear about it, you know, from all kinds of people, you know. Mm. But we just laughed when when we got them because kind of laughable. Yeah. Because yeah. we used the yeah. line, you know. It's like, you know, turn around, have a look. You've got tables full of slaughter. Yeah. Mm. You yeah. know, at, mm-hmm. throughout time, and you're worried about this. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. it was a bit odd. Well, you know, I think... That was a true uh, showcase for your scratch building, you know, the miniature pill bottles and the lighting, you know, in the mirror and the, the shag rug. How'd you get the perfect mm. scale Oh, no, rug? that was that wasn't difficult. We found that at um, Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> it was like, you know, one of those, uh, I forget what it was, really. I mean, I know it was perfect. Actually, you know who found the shag carpet? It wasn't me or Mike. It was Mike's wife, Kathy. She found it. And I said, that's it. It's perfect, yeah. you know. So it was a oh, true collaboratory effort, that was, yeah. But we're, we're mm. jumping around historically. What was the first box you tried? Napoleon uh, mm. in his campaign tent with Bertier. Okay. We don't have mm. that on boxdioramas.com, Nick. We, we don't. Oh, I should send you some... Mr. Pic- Photographer Expert. Oh, oh, then I'll, I'll send you... I'll In fact, pick- ironically, you were one of the ones I had to bug the most. I mean, there's no way we were launching the site without you. <laughs> and I mean, and the guy who's, who takes a bazillion photos, <laughs> I couldn't get photos from you for the longest time. Sorry, mate. That's all right. That's all right. We didn't want to exclude... I think I've seen one picture of that in a magazine. Do you recall it, Perry? I do. I, I just saw it recently. <laughs> I think it's in the book you did with Shep. Is it is it that one? I know it's in a book somewhere that I just recently really? saw. It. Oh, it's not in the Shep book. Yeah. No. Well, maybe I saw it online somewhere. I, I know it I lives in Chicago, actually. Um, Palmer, Ralph Palmer. Huh. Okay. I think his name was. He bought it. So coming hmm. out of the gate, doing your first one, did it come out the way you wanted? Never do. They don't. They don't, right? They never do. I think that's one of the things that's so daunting for modelers to try it because you have to be willing to fail. Well, it's coming com- coming back to the Boston Expo because Bill built, built a shadow box for that and so did Mike Blank. Mm. Now, Bill didn't really talk about his, mm. but Mike turned to me and he said, I'm never doing one of these again. He yeah. said, this, just, this just drove me bonkers. <laughs> Welcome to it. You know the mistake he made? Uh, there was a couple he made. but Well, the biggest mistake he made is he was daunted by the woodworking so he bought a box from ikea oh. and that's like the worst thing you can do you've got to do as you were saying with the foam core play around cardboard lights uh you know uh viewpoint right you don't you don't build the scene to fit the box you build the box to fit the scene I'm afraid you do yeah yeah i i have to say though that box he brought to world expo in boston is pretty fantastic it is it is but it just drove him bonkers that's the death of charles right that's that yes yeah 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 Yeah. that one i think is stronger than his joan of arc box Mm. Mm. 
can't, I never but saw that one in the flesh. So. That was the one with the IKEA. Oh, cover Well, it was. It was. You were at the end of a long, narrow alleyway, and all the fun stuff was happening in the street that was uh, perpendicular. Oh, and so you wondered what? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was the eyes didn't necessarily go to the right. Place. They didn't go right. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. So on. On. on uh, back. So to he the didn't. Gag. He didn't sell the gag. He didn't sell the gag. All right. So the gag is for you. You define the gag as. Um, uh, Getting it at first blink. For me, yes. Okay. But, you know, like Barry's work, there mm-hmm. isn't necessarily a storyline there. You don't get anything at first blink. You know, but <laughs> it draws you in. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like, it, it keeps you there. Yeah. So, it's not an absolute. Right, right. And well, there's no rule in art, no. ever, that can't be broken. It's true. Right? So, uh, right. That's why I've started doing these sort of case dioramas. Yeah, tell us what, how you define that. Well, it stems from uh, ship modelers, mm-hmm. uh, waterline models. Uh, I love those cases that they build for those things, and I've always wanted to marry the two. And just the last couple, I've been doing that. Um, and I've got a couple more that I'm going to do. I'm still going to do shadow boxes because I've still got, you know, the... I'm doing um, uh, Mount Rushmore, you know, the profile of Lincoln with, mm. the, with the guy with mm. the ropes on his nose. It's <laughs> wow. a great picture. Okay, so perspex we're talking about since I'm talking to a Brit. Uh, plexiglass, we call it in America. Right. The, the case diorama, it's still a box. Right. There, there's a top and there's four walls. Yes. Um, but you're not controlling the lighting. Well, you still can light because mm. I've been lighting these things as well because you can put, you know, uh, the, with the advent of the digital age and LED, uh-huh. and you guys use them, is those yeah. little power chargers for, right. for mm-hmm. your phones. Um, you can mm-hmm. shove those in the base. And, uh-huh. you know, on, on Harry House, and I've got, all the lamps are practical. Oh, that's interesting. I have, I've only seen the photos, and I haven't seen the creature in, in person. Was there a lighting in the creature? No, no. Yeah. There was no lighting in but the creature. But that's underwater. Exactly. So that, <laughs> that was, was uh, what some call it, springs in Florida. It was shallow. That's why they mm-hmm. used it in mm-hmm. clear. Um, mm-hmm. That's where they did all the underwater work yeah. down there. So, uh, um, no, I didn't put any lighting in that one. Right. But that's so, that, so, so, so a different kind of box. Different. It's, it's more palatable to some of the people I sell to. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes when you do a commission, you get a call from the person who commissioned you. It's like, how big's the box going to be? And I go, when I give them the sizes, and is there a problem? Well, wife doesn't want to put it in the living room. <laughs> and... Um, it's very real that kind of thing if you're going yeah. if you're going to start selling these things. Yeah. So uh, I find these case dioramas are a lot more palatable for 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 the entire household rather than just for the collector, as it were. So you don't need to. Uh, I mean, you know, I've seen some people who love box dioramas do the fake wall and cut out uh, an insert, right? And mount it like you would a picture, right? 
And yeah. I love that mm-hmm. too. Yeah, but that's oh. tricky. That's, a, that's, that's you know, that's very demanding. Honey, I'm going to cut a wall, hole in the wall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, you could go the Barry direction, Nick, yeah. and make them so small they fit on the shelf. Well, they, this is why I'm doing the sh- shelf stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, shelf stuff. Um, enough of these these monstrously big boxes. You know, uh, after I finished um, Psycho. Uh, I made a pact with myself. That's it. No more of these monstrously big things. Mm. That was an interesting one. Um, uh, what made you... I mean, I, I think it would have worked if you did 54, but that was like 100 millimeters. I right? went mad. I don't know what else to say. I was <laughs> I, trying different scales, and I tried that scale, and now I know not to try it again. Uh, it was just too big. It was too big. It was. I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, yeah. it's just one of those. Yeah. Uh, I'm very comfortable with like 74 mil, 75 mil. Yeah, that's a good uh, middle ground because yeah. sometimes 54 is a little too small. Right. To to really uh, uh, grab you. Uh, Barry has no. I problem. don't know about that. Barry I don't know no about problem. that. Yeah, you love 54. <laughs> I'm doing a 54 right now. Yeah. Yeah. And what I'm, is this one you're working on? I'm doing um, pink short sound guy. Uh, from Star Wars, and uh, he's the mm. boom swinger, a man called Ken Nightingall. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, obviously uh, he's dead now, unfortunately, but I'm doing it for his son, who's a camera operator in, in L.A., and his, wow. uh, his sister and uh, their mum, you know, so... Uh. Uh, That'll be done. I'm working on it as we speak. We're Some Star Chicago. Wars folks involved in it as well? No, I'm just doing Ken. That's oh, just it. him, I'm the just, camera guy. Just him. He, uh, him and the pole, you know, mm. and, the, and, uh, and the pink shorts, of course. But. <laughs> mm. <laughs> there's, a cult, there's a cult out there. You, you know, could throw you... a droid in. Well, yeah. <laughs> I could. You're right. You're right. Uh, but this... this you know, if you go to something like Comic Con now, you know oh, how yeah, people yeah. dress up. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of guys who dress up as Ken Nightingale with a, wow. and they have boom poles and everything. I mean, wow, pink shorts and the works. Oh wow! Oh yes, now, this is this is a part of Star Wars. I had oh, no idea yeah, about. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, I, wow. I just found that fascinating. He's, he's pretty geeky about Star Wars, Barry is. Yeah. So you know who I'm talking yeah. about, then, Barry. Yeah, well, I didn't know about the pink shorts guy until you just said Oh, that. look him up. Yeah, but just put in Google pink pink short oh, sounds I guy. Did. Yeah. I did, and I'm seeing all kinds of pictures from Comic-Con. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Were, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Man, that's that's it. The funny thing is, is, you know, the gentleman I'm sculpting, Ken Nightingale, is very, very, very well known in his day as a, as a boom swinger, mm. worked on the original Italian job. I mean, you know, if you look up his IMDB page, it's like, wow. And when they were working mm. on Star Wars, don't forget, it was a low-budge film. Yeah, it wasn't going to go anywhere. And they thought it was all a piece of crap when they were working yeah. on it, mm. you know. Chip <laughs> mm-hmm. turned down a job. On that? They asked him to come to L.A. to build the models, and he thought, you know, this is going to go nowhere. This is a, That was mm-hmm. one of the famous Shep stories. I called that one wrong. But then I wouldn't have had all you good friends in Chicago. And we're buying like, oh, okay. (laughs) And and to be honest, the life of a a model maker within that world is not... It's tough. It's not so much tough. It's just long hours and and not enough money. And, you know, just it's one of those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And it's thankless as well. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, technology has overtaken that job. 
as well in many respects. Oh, when we were talking to John Rosengren about that, though, there's kind of a swing back the other way. There is a bit, yeah. yeah. Um, but there's still so much done in, in computer now that, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, uh, you can do so much with it now. Well, I want to talk about your, your specific of modeling, uh, Nick, and I don't mean to offend you. I don't mean it offensively at all. You're not the best sculptor in the world not the best painter in the world, mm-hmm. um, uh, and yet your pieces are magical. Thank you. I take inspiration from that. Thank you. Because, Barry, I've coined the phrase superhuman. I look at some of these European and Asian modelers, and it's like... It's amazing. I can't do that. I, I would know. never be able to think about doing it. It's absolutely that. amazing. Right, yeah. right. But, so what do you think the advantages uh, are that us mere mortals can bring to our pieces? Just keep doing what you're doing. I was, I was hoping you were going to say imagination, because that's well, that what you too. have in spades. Well, yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to be the best at anything to make it work. Mm. Um, sometimes imperfection is almost as attractive as, you know, perfection. Um, mm. It's just a the good mix. Is is it is it design right? Is it is the feng shui right? Is it anything like that mm. that kind of stuff? Yeah. Personally, what mm. I like to do is when I photograph it, I like the feeling of showing somebody and go, "Well, that's not a model." Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I do that yeah. a lot. Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, in my other world in which I work, um, people know about my miniatures and I'll show somebody, you know, somebody will say, oh, you know, I hear you build miniatures and I'll show them and I'll show them a picture like the Ray Harryhausen I just showed yeah. somebody last night. And the other two went, that's not a model. I went, oh, yes, it Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that to me I like. Yeah. I yeah. really like that part. Yeah. Um, you just... Try and be better at, you know, your, your painting and your sculpting and what have you. I mean, I like different subject matters. I want to do things like Charles Adams cartoons. Mm. Mm. I find some of his work wonderful. Yeah. I like some of the dark humour. Yeah. I love the dark humour stuff. Yeah. Um, I want to do this thing. It's not a Charles Adams one. It's a cartoon of a woman opening the door, and they've got, he's got, she, there's two Jehovah's Witnesses standing there, and the line is, "Have you found Jesus?" And it's a white, you know, it's a the pic, the picture is of the living room, and the doors open, and you see the window, and behind the curtains is Jesus hiding. Yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> I haven't found him yet. Uh, yeah, it's just <laughs> stuff like that to me is worthy of turning into three dimensional yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we've talked so much about how the, the advantages of shows and, and medals and critiques and that, but one of the disadvantages is we get funneled into doing things all the same way a lot of times. Because of the metal system, I don't know if that's that might be too controversial to say, but no, it's not controversial I, I, at all. Um, it all depends why you build models. If you build models mm-hmm. to to pursue medals, then that's your shtick. But mm-hmm. 
I don't. <laughs> yeah. I've got drawers yeah. full of those, and I don't know what to do with them anymore. No, quite no, frankly, yeah. <laughs> just, you um, recycle them. You know, I, I know what you mean, Barry, and you're not wrong. Um, I look out there, and I look at something online, and I think, oh, that looks like a Bill Horan piece, but it's somebody out of, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Spain or or Italy or something like that. So, you know, I understand where they where they're getting their inspiration from, mm. and you know quite good at what they're doing uh, but mm-hmm. you know I don't find I don't find that in my work really important well and mm-hmm. and you and Barry both have done uh, um, uh, the vast majority of your stuff hasn't been military uh, uh, it's a bigger world out there for me yeah you know other uh, stories to tell tell me about it it's just I I, I I don't get me wrong I still like going to see the military work mm-hmm. you know I've still got libraries full of that stuff um, I just don't really build it anymore mm. I, I haven't found an idea there's one idea I, a couple of ideas I'd like to do but I just you know they're way down on the list yeah um, and they're more historical than military mm-hmm. you know like I always wanted to do Albert Speer and Hitler um, looking over the model of Germania. Mm, yeah. I always thought that would be quite good. Um, and a couple of drunken uh, um, paratroopers from the 101 at Berchtesgaden with their feet up on the picture window with all the bottles lined up. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that would be quite good. But, you know. Was it your people? I thought it was the 101st. 101st, that's what I mean. The oh, 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 okay. Paratroopers, right. yeah. 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 Right. Um, it's, don't be defensive, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being nationalist. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I mean, it's not something I would not never do again. Yeah. But um, I just it's better better subject matter. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing a race. I'm doing a '60s race car and a Formula One race car at the moment. Oh wow! Oh, I saw that. You had that on Facebook, didn't you? Uh, no, I put it on Instagram. Instagram, yeah, that's right. I'm doing okay. it for yeah. a, a, a fellow focus puller um, whose dad used to work for Shelby, Shelby mm-hmm. Motors, mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, one of the you knew the guy. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so I'm doing it for him. I didn't get to tell you this yet, Barry, uh, but mm-hmm. you know who I talked to for an hour yesterday for a video interview? Uh, who's that? Nick Mason. Oh man, really? Yeah, yeah. He, you know, of Pink Floyd. Right. Uh, I asked him to, if he if took he, in a cars. Yeah. He's apparent. Yeah, he's apparently saved all of his drum sets, uh-huh. and of course he collects like twenties roadsters. Right. Like, you know, and I said, he can afford it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said, which do you have more of? He said, cars by far. Yeah. 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 yeah there's some really, mm. really. There's a there's a where we live in Palm Desert. There's a a, a, a lot of fairly wealthy people around there, and. <laughs> On the other side of the street, if you go for a walk up into the hills, is this sort of black building mm. with no windows, right? And I'm always wondering, you know, is it the Mo Dump or yeah? yeah. And apparently black in the desert, that's exactly, not a good idea. Well, yeah. apparently that's where all the the rich guys keep their you know two million dollar Ferraris. <laughs> mm. <laughs> apparently, there's quite a collection in there. I've yet yeah. to, I've yet to get in and see it, but. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of those guys out there who've yeah. got, you know... We're living wrong, Nick. All no, we're living right, mate. Uh, <laughs> all that lot needs looking after. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And I just got a yeah. Tesla. Did you? <laughs> yeah. 
Wow. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it, it makes financial sense for me now. So mm-hmm. Fuel is so expensive in yeah. LA or in California, it's cheaper for me to drive an electric car. Yeah. Do you have to go into Hollywood much? Oh, yeah. From, oh, Christ. You're in Palm Desert? Oh, yeah, a lot. That's quite a haul. 126 miles to Warner Brothers. Yeah. Um, Yikes. And I, sometimes I do it two, three times a week. Wow. You know, but uh, yes, I do have to go in. And I, usually what I do is I stay in town and then come back, you know, when I'm not working. Mm-hmm. So, because mm-hmm. I don't work every day. Um, so is that how you're, you know, how do you model when, when the, the, the job's intense, it's 14, 16 hours on set? I don't model when I'm doing that. Right. I can't. I mean, yeah. you know, I try to do some at work sometimes mm-hmm. at lunch times and what have you, but, you know, the light's not great, and, you know, unless you get the sparks to set you up a lamp or something like that. Mm. And sometimes I do if I've got a deadline, but... On the whole, no, it gets shelved until yeah. until I'm home. Hmm. You know, I brought some with me to Chicago. Yeah, but oh, you're here for six or eight weeks. Exactly, I've got another month here, so yeah. uh, I, I'll get the figure sculpted here, mm-hmm. and then I'll paint it when I get home. Mm-hmm. So, and mm. when we say scratch and sculpt, you 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 are head to toe. You head do to your toe. own faces, your own everything. Yeah, everything. So. Uh, uh, I like it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned how to do it, you know, and I like it that way. I can, I can say, they're not the best of faces sometimes, but... But there is that satisfaction of yeah. knowing that every single millimeter in that figure is mine. Yeah. 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 yeah I can honestly say that is scratch built. Yeah. Um, I know some people say something is scratch built and they've used parts. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But... I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I can honestly say, uh, say, what have I used parts-wise in anything recently? I didn't use anything in Ray Harryhausen. Uh, the creature was not mine. Right, right, right. That right. was, he, I can forget his name, but he just did a phenomenal job on that. Yeah, that's a good creature. That's a great creature. <laughs> um, but everything else, yeah, scratch yeah. it. Because yeah. they don't make it for the st- subject right. matter I'm doing anyway, right. or the scale. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is really hard to find 75 millimeter parts at all, so you are You have to period. make them yourself. Yeah. I run into trouble with things like glasses and... Oh, yeah. You know, Anything mm. clear. Yeah, that's really yeah. tricky. But, you know, it's not impossible. Bediger has a 3D printer. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, you know, there's Shapeways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Ray Harryhausen, I did use 3D prints for the wagon wheels. Mm. Um, mm. I, that, those, those I didn't scratch, but everything else was scratched. Yeah. I tried to do my own wagon wheels and thought, bugger this. Yeah, I'm yeah, getting yeah. 3D prints. There are some things where it's just not. Yeah, it's bugger awesome. this. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, it's just they're not looking right. They're just not as good as a print. So mm-hmm. I just got the prints. They were mm-hmm. they were Napoleonic cannon from war gaming stuff, you mm-hmm. know. So mm. I just ordered, yeah. ordered them. Yeah, be done with it. So you, how much do you 3D print, Barry? Um, I've kind of gotten away from it a little bit. Just been doing other things, but I. I did print some light fixtures for the last box I completed. Right. Completed. That's what it's great for is where you have like some forced perspective 
um, piece, and if you want to make the same exact thing but a couple different sizes, it's wow, perfect for that. Yeah. yeah. I've got to tell you, I'm very tempted. Uh, there's a program called ZBrush, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can design everything within ZBrush and just send mm -hmm. it off to your printers and, mm. you know. And I'm thinking about doing it for some of the lamps, for, yeah. the, for the film lamps, you know, I'll build the original and then scan it and then print them after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything that's repetitive, it's just... It, it, well, a lamp's a lamp's a lamp. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, they take me four to five days to make one by mm. scratch, you know, because they're, they've got vents mm -hmm. so you can see the light through them. Yeah. You know, they're not just a solid piece. And mm -hmm. um, I've sort of, you know, originally I, mine were just solid and now I've got to vents yeah. so you can see the light. So they take four to five days to yeah. make each one. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a pain in the neck. That's a pain in the neck, you know, yeah. and a print would take, you know, I'll go to bed and it's printed. Right, right. Um, mm -hmm. Or, you know, I because as a photographer... The pain in the ass for me was the darkroom work because mm. I worked as a darkroom technician and, you know, like photography, taking the picture is one thing and printing is the other. Yeah. And it's the same with 3D. Um, there mm -hmm. are some really good printers out there that, you know, will get your stuff right, mm -hmm. you know, and not go through all these errors that one goes through because you do, you end up with drawers and drawers of errors. Right. Because of the centering. Mm. You know, if it moves ever so slightly, it throws the whole thing mm -hmm. off. So if you're doing the build-up, yeah. you know, if it's the goopy-goo stuff, that's a little different. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that is still, even with that, even with the resin printers, though, you, it's, there's a certain amount of trial and error. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have, you tried, have you looked up Shapeways? Do you know what Shapeways is? Mm-hmm. If you, you, yeah, you yeah. know, if you design stuff and they like it, they have an online shop and mm. they'll print it up and sell it on their shop. Mm. And obviously you split, yeah. the, split the profits with them. Mm. Or they'll print up and you can sell it. And, yeah. You know, I mean, it's an interesting, uh, mm. interesting model, actually. Mm. You know, it's, it's uh, one of the, the problems, though, is it's getting to the point where the consumer, the inexpensive consumer printers are doing better yeah. things than what Shapeways can True. do. And there's so many people with a printer yeah. that you can find a friend to print it. So uh, let me know if you want to try something. I can, I can give you a test. That, that's what I was saying. Nick. Definitely. If we need something printed out, yeah. we get married. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you, that the chap who bought uh, uh, Harryhausen, uh, Dave Emmerichs, who's a, a Steadicam operator, and he's now... Him and his wife are doing stop frame work, so they're making their own. Mm. He's he's learning ZBrush and he's got all his prints printing stuff going. And um, when I was building the lamps, you know, on the back of the lamps, uh, they were made by a company called uh, Mole Richardson, and they mm. have a, a a certain logo that is stamped into the back of the metal on the on the lamps. Mm. And I tried to sculpt it, and I was telling Dave, I said, "I ain't devil of a trouble." time sculpting these things he said well let me try and print one mm. and he sent me these little tiny logos Malt Richardson logos Ooh. oh they're beautiful that's cool they're beautiful they turned out so well mm. I could never have mm. sculpted that yeah yeah. Well, I could have but it would have taken me it's really hard to sculpt letters yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. days yeah. I mean. uh, so 
Mm. Yeah, I'm not opposed to it yeah. at all, especially on the equipment. Yeah, right tool for the job. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> whatever whatever I, works. I won't do the figures. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the equipment, I yeah. don't see a reason why not. Yeah. Or the cameras, for that matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've done enough of them at this point. <laughs> I have done quite a few. And I keep getting, I, actually, the Steadicam lot all want me to do Steadicam figures. Mm-hmm. You know, a model of a Steadicam yeah. for them. And... Um, Actually, I'm going to do uh, one of the pieces I want to do is uh, the, the inventor of the Steadicam, Garrett Brown. Mm. Mm. When they did Rocky, mm. you know, the, the going up the stairs going and, up the and yeah. all that, yeah, yeah. you know. So I, I want to do Garrett on the staircase, you know, and Stallone in front of him mm. uh, and the focus puller behind, just yeah. the staircase. And it, it will be a plinth piece yeah. again, you know, in a case. Yeah. But, you know. I, I my favorite uh, was they didn't call it a steady cam it was a gyro cam that the Cohen brothers and, and Raimi invented right. for Evil Dead. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Sam Raimi, cut it now! I did Darkman with Sam Raimi. Really? Yeah. Is he as much fun as I'd like yes, to think he is? He's a, that's cool. He's an absolute hoot. I like Sam Raimi. Nice man. Nice man. Oh, that's good to hear. It's always it's always disappointing a little. Well, you know the music world too. You know when when there's somebody that yeah, and you realize ooh oh, yeah, what a, I know. What a yeah. Jerk. Yeah. Barry, I've been dominating no. the conversation because Nick and I are here at the table with beers, and you're not here. You're in Salt Lake. What are you working on at the moment, Barry? What am I working yeah. on? I'm actually building a tank. Oh, cool. For, but um, I've I've got a few boxes that I keep tinkering on and. Uh, really hard to explain stuff, and I, I don't... <laughs> he never tells me either. <laughs> well, I don't keep them from people because it's a secret. I just don't know how, how to... How to explain you know, it. Yeah, we'll see it yeah, when it's done. Yeah, what am I going to tell you? Yeah, there's a guy standing there, and he's looking at this room. I don't know what to say. <laughs> so, yeah. That's the problem. I'll show you guys pictures. That's the problem with being an abstract artist like you, Barry. Well, I don't know. But it's also the charm. It's abstract. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that. You but don't you get know, it in a blink. You don't get any beater. No, box but in like a blink. I say, you know, uh, different people, different, different sort yeah. of like. Well, see, your explanation though, Nick, made much more sense than because De- Dennis, you know, almost. And I don't. I know he doesn't mean it this way, but every time he's talked about it at seminars and stuff, it sounds like he thinks you need a trick. You need the two-way mirror, or you need the force perspective, um, or you need, you know. And I don't. I don't think you need to have anything that dramatic. Sometimes you can have very, you know, and he's done some, you know, like his uh, single fireman on the smoldering rubble on 9-11. This is a very simple idea. Mm-hmm. There's no gag. Mm-hmm. He sold that no, gag. Hmm? He sold the gag. If you know, the gag for me is, yeah. do you understand or do you appreciate what, the, what is happening here? Ah, there or, you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Have I told you the story? Story, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm very much a storyteller. Mm-hmm. At least I like to think myself as a storyteller. But. I, I think you're saying, looking at that the right way, from my perspective, anyway. But actually, Jim, he did have what he considers, what Dennis considers a gag in that. And it was a pretty, is fairly spectacular because he used a... Um, yeah, a mirror. There was he a did. mirror. Yeah, yeah, he did. There was. Where you see the, uh, the uh, you know, the, uh, I can't remember what that painting's called, but the three musicians from the Revolutionary War. 
Oh yeah, I know that. Right. Yes, they, he did. He yeah. did do that gag in there. Yes, he did. In the sky? Yeah. No, in one of the, yeah. it was. I thought it was in the window of. Or it, uh, maybe it was, but I thought you had to look up when you looked up, and it was kind of up in uh, the in this. And maybe it was in a window, but it now was, that's interesting because I never saw the box in person. I've only seen photos. And yeah, that's why you, you can of it. Yeah, 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 but I didn't see mm. see ghosts in the sky. <laughs> Did I you would, get them in the no, I, picture? I, no, because the angle. I yeah, right, get, right, right. I couldn't yeah. get the cam- I couldn't get right. the lens where you could see yeah. it. Okay, so I saw half yeah. of his box, and I thought it was yeah. spectacularly successful. Yeah, it was successful. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was success. It's kind of, it's amazing because it was successful in two from two views. Because if you just look at it and don't crane your neck, it, it's a great box. But then if you look up under, um, up above, it's got that cool effect. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He does build them good. Yeah. Yeah. Got to get him to produce more. Oh, that's another story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, every time I speak to him, what are you working on? Oh, well, I haven't had time. You know, it's like it's been years <laughs> since he's built anything, you know. It's, it's been a while. And, yeah. and uh, no amount of coaxing from myself or Greg or, or Joel will, will, yeah. seems to get him back to the workbench. So. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to have him on, Jim, and, and get him uh, moving towards making something. Definitely. Do you think we need a translator? <laughs> huh? If we, if we have Dennis, do we need a translator? <laughs> well, you're the other one from Jersey. I so can speak Jersey. You, Yo, you can douchebag, what the hell are you working <laughs> no, on? No, <laughs> I used to work for a cameraman who was from Jersey, and he'd scream and yell and, you know, go, why are you screaming, Daniel? He was like, oh, well, I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> that was uh, his that's, that's the way we talk, yeah. <laughs> Well, it has been an absolute pleasure. We could hang out with Nick Enfield forever. We didn't even get into all of his punk yeah. rock stories. Oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> Wait, have you have you ever done any singing? Me, Nick? Yeah. No, I'm tone deaf, mate. It threw me out of Ring of Ring of Roses. Wow. Uh, Considering well, the amount of music I've done over the years, that's quite a mm. that's quite an achievement. Yeah. Well, I was I was hoping that if we ever got another band together, you could uh, sing the Johnny Rotten part. Oh no, mate, no. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, I guess that, that's that, out the that, window. That's that's definitely not me. Yeah, yeah. We we are never getting another band together anyway, Barry. That was no one I know, of the only right. Shep Payne ideas that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Nick. Thanks for chatting with us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot, You're Nick. You're welcome, guys. Barry Biedeger, I love Nick Infield. I love his sense of humor. I love his irreverence. I love his boxes. Um, you know, he's just he's just a wonderful guy. Yeah, he's cool. He's fun. He's way cool. You know, there are some people who can aspire to cool in this hobby. There are many people who never will approach the neighborhood of cool. And then there are a handful of truly cool individuals. Nick is one yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. You, we didn't even get to like his Sex Pistols stories oh, or man. his movie set stories or his, you know, we just have to keep compiling the list of for when we revisit a guest, all the stuff we didn't get to. I, I was really kind of uh, bummed that he he doesn't sing, though, because what well, doesn't he have a great punk voice? Wouldn't he be? He has a great punk yeah. voice. Yeah. You know, um, but the whiskey hadn't come out yet. Mm. We had grilled some steaks. Mm. And, you know, the uh, he had a couple of beers, but we didn't have a bottle between us. He has an excellent Roger the Hat laugh, too. If you remember the, oh, the, the yeah. Pink Floyd uh, 
Uh, dark, dark side, side of the moon. Of the moon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you drop that in instead of the bell? His his laugh. Yeah, well, yeah, or the Roger the Hat laugh. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. <laughs> um, you know, I, I want to talk about uh, uh, Nick's boxes, um, the ones that grab me. Um, I'll talk about two, and you'll talk about two, as always. I, I just want to say a few more words first about Elvis has left the building. Mm. Um, you know, since we sat with Nick, I've had this conversation with a few other modelers, and, and it, it, it is fascinating to me that that piece was so controversial. Because mm-hmm. A, I think it was exquisitely modeled, and B, how can you not laugh, but also, you know, it's a tragic comic laugh about the death of Elvis Presley, you know, um, worldwide superstar, uh, figure of so many people's obsession, um, you know, dying this lonely death at home on the toilet. You know, Mm -hmm. I I, I didn't think it was disrespectful. People have been saying, since I brought it up again, it was on my mind, you know, people have been saying, oh, you know, it's disrespectful. If it had had a different title... But Elvis has left the building was That's the joke, the thing, yeah. you know. Just... Right. I, I don't get why modelers, you know, we we go down the rows at a show and see a hundred dead soldiers. Yeah. Right? Um, in people's dioramas and vignettes. Um, and, and the whole thing about you had to, like, look into the uh, diorama and kind of crane your neck around the corner to where Elvis was in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Did you have to do that? I, I don't remember that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it wasn't obvious at first, right? You were looking at this gaudy kind of. You were you were looking at Graceland. Yeah, yeah. And and then you began to see reflections in the mirror and find Elvis. Yeah, I, I think I think there might be some uh, generational stuff at play again because there could again be. the punk generation was all about uh, you know a reaction against the the heroes. The untouchable Stardom. people. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, and not just punk, public enemy. Don't believe the hype. Right. Yeah, yeah. Elvis was a hero to most, but he didn't mean blank to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's Chuck D. I do Shep and I do Chuck D. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, but it, 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 was a, it was a good example of Nick's sense of humor. Uh, but by far, I would say his boxes are dominated by... Uh, his fondness, uh, his love, his passion for film, his other great passion after modeling, and the fact that he works on film sets and uh, knows the history and the lore, and people uh, knows often the professionals who who worked on famous films and has access to go see uh, the equipment that was used mm-hmm. to film these films, yeah, yeah. you know, which he he models in methodical detail. Yeah. Beautiful, right. beautiful. You know, the cameras are 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 the stars uh, often of his dioramas. Um, so you you lead us off. Which Nick piece do you want to talk about? Well, the first one I want to talk about is uh, Robin Hood. And it has some of that. It has him geeking out on the details of movie making. The, the light, the camera. And you know they're... You know he's used the actual references, like you said. He's, he's geeking out on this like we would tanks or napoleonic uniforms or whatever yeah he goes to see the gear yeah yeah and um and it's uh they're filming a scene from the the movie from when was that the 30s right it's uh errol flynn yeah yeah um, i believe that's when robin hood was robin hood right 
I'm not a movie geek like like Nick is. I mean, I love movies, yeah. but it's not to the same extent. But I always like to see people geek out on stuff, even if I'm not interested in it. I, I'm not sure yes. exactly why, but it's just fun to see people getting that into something. And I think yeah, I agree. I think that's I, what that, I get. That out passion of it. is is contagious. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it, it, on its own. Uh, you know, that diorama works on two levels because if he had cut it off with the duel on the staircase, mm-hmm. the castle stairs, mm-hmm. right, that would have been a fine box diorama. Sure. You know, he, he's uh, lighting it. He's directing our gaze. We have the sense that we are in the middle of a castle and all this action, this fighting is taking place, yeah. right? But then you pull out and you see the camera crew around it. Yeah. Um, that is one of the things he does really well yeah so it's it it, i mean and talk about your fourth wall right i mean we are the viewer but the cameras are viewing and the camera crew are viewing the action right so so there's levels um one that isn't about filming five minutes mr karloff is is just fantastic to me because of the lighting the makeup mirror again you know we'll have these on our blog on boxdioramas.com but we have a gallery an artist gallery of all of uh, nick's boxes on the site as well uh so boris karloff uh in the chair uh patiently being made up as frankenstein mm-hmm. by a uh, oh my goodness i'm forgetting the name i'm not a movie geek either you know, a super geek, especially not, you know, pre like seventies, you know, my movie, my movie obsessions start with Scorsese and Coppola and, uh, uh, oh my God, best movie ever made. It's a great documentary. I told you Mm, about, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. William Friedkin. Yeah. Sorcerer and exorcist. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. All right. I like that gritty New York dirt of the 70s that that the new wave of american filmmakers anyway i, I forget the name of the makeup artist yeah. <laughs> who did barless karloff more than half a century ago yeah uh but you know right now there's at least two listeners uh, going i can't believe you don't know fill in the blank yeah yeah um you know, there's a garage kit in, in that incredible, you know, uh, G.I. Joe scale, 112 scale or whatever it is, um, of Karloff in the makeup chair. Uh, but Nick had sculpted this on his own uh, with the makeup artist and the mirrors and the lights are just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And and offering all those different views because, you know, it's this makeup mirror and there's, there's different glimpses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of Karloff. I love that one. Yeah, that's a cool one. Yeah, the next one I was going to talk about is... is I, I I kind of feel like I've cheated you on this one because I think we both wanted to talk about this one, but I guess I won out. But uh, Casablanca. Well, you won out. Well, because I, I wanted to talk more about Elvis anyway. All right. And and I guess you know what it did strike me. I meant to say when you said it's it's probably a boomer thing or a generational thing again. How would we feel if if that box was Cobain in? the attic room above the garage. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've kind of thought of that before, and I did mean it that way, not like, yeah, it wasn't just, you know, I wasn't just flipping everybody off that's older than me, but I, it's just, we don't, it's not, doesn't have the same impact on us. It's not the same to us. No, it doesn't. It does, And again, I, I will compare it to, you know, I mean, Dan Tzanchik at the MMSI show in 2019 had a great Japanese, uh, uh, U.S. Marines on one of the Japanese islands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was like literally a pit of dead Japanese yeah. soldiers. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and it's like, we don't think twice about that. 
Yeah, right. Well, some people did, though. That was also controversial. Well, some people did, and some people criticized a fine diorama maker. I don't think he did a box ever. Bob Tavis Mm -hmm. had some edgy, controversial. But hey, one thing that that art does is sometimes challenge you. Right, and I think think Bob's uh, diorama especially was uh, very misunderstood, uh, his motivation behind it. Well, we we yeah, should talk again, about because that. people didn't understand the title. Yeah, right. Yeah, they weren't familiar with the the uh, cultural reference. There was a, there was a, an African American being lynched, yeah. uh, and the title of the piece was "Strange Fruit." And of course, it is one of the most famous songs in the history of recorded mm-hmm. music. Yeah, Billy Holiday recorded it. It was written by Jewish songwriter. Did mm-hmm. you know that? I didn't know Strange that. Fruit. It was strange fruit hanging from the trees. And, yeah. and I mean, he was not celebrating the subject. No. It was a poignant piece, just like we've had modelers do pieces, uh, sometimes very effectively, on, uh, on the Holocaust. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Um, and anybody that knows a, Bob, you know he wasn't uh, trying to celebrate lynchings. No. No, no. John Schley did a fantastic box diorama. He's from Ireland of uh, uh, a German prisoner in Spandau prison, war crimes awaiting Nuremberg, perhaps, Um, you know, haunted by the ghosts of concentration camp victims outside the cell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ghosts are a popular box diorama strip. Anyway, Casablanca, tell us what uh, what you thought worked about that. Casablanca. Um, By Nick. Well, again... It's a complete movie geek out piece. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. what I always loved about it, and you know, it's it's funny. I've never seen this in person, but I've seen a lot of shots of it. And uh, what is the most effective thing about it is he has uh, an airplane sitting on the runway in the back. Yeah. Um, and it's he has a piece of glass in front of it, so it looks like the the atmosphere is making it kind of hazy and it sits way Foggy. in the back the fogs rolling in yeah yes. it is just beautiful i i love that and it's forced perspective yes yes because that airplane's perhaps 148th or 172nd yeah. and it definitely the figures in the foreground or not in the photos it, it, you definitely get the feeling that it's way way in the distance and it's probably yeah. only like well it's what maybe 10 inches in the distance but yeah, yeah. And no, it's a great piece, and of course everybody knows. I've never seen that movie. You, you haven't? I haven't, oh. but I know. I know. I feel like I have because it just permeates pop culture. Well, you know, it's funny because I've only recently watched it, and again, I think, God, we're riffing on this topic a lot, but um, I think it's a generational thing because I've just heard mm. all my life that it's one of the greatest movies ever made, and I, I saw it, and well, it was entertaining, but. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I think you had yeah. had to be there <laughs> well yeah and sometimes the art yeah right sometimes art hits people as we've never seen that before at the time you know but it doesn't necessarily stand the test of time like mm-hmm. like whereas i've seen citizen kane a half dozen times yeah and that's a great movie today and it was a great movie the day orson welles made it yeah well but see i'm not saying casablanca is not a great movie i i it's a it's a great movie because yeah, you, but it wasn't. But you look at what, and again, well, we've come back full circle, like we were talking about with Shep. I look at it from my perspective as somebody born in 1968, and it's an okay movie. Mm-hmm. But I have to respect what impact it made, and and what it meant at the time. Yeah, right? yeah. I think that's. Yeah. I think there's something we said for that. 
Yeah, sure, sure. But still, you know, whether it grabs you today or not is uh, whether it grabs you today or not. You're entitled to your... Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I think those are two different, two separate things. I don't don't think, um, I don't think for something to be great, it has to impact somebody seeing it for the first time right now as great. That might sound really strange. No, I know what you mean. I mean, uh, I've spent my career as a music critic, uh, you know, a popular music, rock and roll, hip hop. All right, you know, and and people say to me, you know, what about jazz? And I'm like, someday when I retire. Mm-hmm. Then I'll worry about jazz. Yeah, yeah. I know there's a lot of great jazz. All right, and I have. I you know I got my Coltrane box set. I got half dozen Mingus albums. Mm-hmm. I have the Miles electric stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'll worry about the rest some other day. Yeah. <laughs> you know right. You know right now I got to deal with everything from Chuck Berry to uh, to you know uh, Travis Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about jazz another day. We're going to continue to talk about box dioramas in an upcoming episode with Dennis Levy, often seen as Nick Infield's partner in crime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because they've done uh, several panels together talking about boxes. I guess you and I are the box upstarts in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Um, we follow in in their shoes, and we'll get into deeper with Dennis that idea of the gag that Nick talked about because mm-hmm. it's it's not one that you and I necessarily share, but that can be for the next installment. Meanwhile, let's wrap this one up um, with some tips. I was going to talk about wet palettes uh, the last time we did tips, and and then you had come prepared, loaded for bear, I would say, uh, uh, talking about wet palettes. Uh, so I will uh, offer a tip this time, and, uh, and it's actually a tip I got from you anyway. Mm-hmm. All, all my best tips come from you. So, um, you know, I... When I began sculpting, I fell in love with these see-through plastic uh, cards. They're called the scale card. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, one of these typical one-person uh, mom and pop uh, uh, hobby manufacturer who put these out for one thirty-second, one thirty-fifth. Um, you know, 75 millimeter, 124th, uh, 116th uh, figures, right? And and it was uh, male, female, uh, just anatomy scaled out, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you know, and those were invaluable, and they're no longer manufactured. At various times, people have posted them on the web. I think we have have them buried somewhere think, on boxdiaramas.com. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, we are not. Uh, I, I always told people, go buy them. I have like two of each. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I was money well spent. They weren't very expensive. And they were small. They were the size of a business card. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they're not available. So it's not a copy. We, we, we do not believe in ripping off uh, artists and sculptors no. and creators. of course not. Anyway, uh, the tip that enhanced, I mean, that was a big help. But, of course, it's ramrod straight uh, male and female figure. And then the thing I got from you was to play around on my computer when I have a photo uh, of a figure in a pose that I want to sculpt or even position. Mm -hmm. This would work for conversions. Um, You know, find the photo. There are several great websites, uh, we'll put the links on the blog on boxdioramas.com, uh, that have uh, 
innumerable for free male and female poses for artists mm-hmm. to do sketches, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you find somebody throwing a discus, right? Well, that looks a lot like throwing a spear <laughs> or, or, or a javelin, yeah. right? Or a, a woman kneeling down or crouching. Uh, you know, there's infinite varieties. They're not all safe for work. No, because they're naked, naked uh, uh, models. No, the most useful ones are definitely not safe for work. Right, especially right, if you right. work for the state of Utah, like I do. You don't want to be looking at that stuff. I work <laughs> at, at the college, and I wouldn't want to have that on my screen when a student comes by. Um, but you can you can take these pictures, and this would work for clothed figures as well. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if you're sculpting from the uh, uh, wire mannequin, um, you want to uh, have the pose right before you worry about the clothes. So, uh, you know, copy the image, uh, save it as a JPEG. You know, I have a folder full of images uh, uh, when I am doing a group scene. And then I uh, print them out to scale. Mm-hmm. How do you do that, right? Well, look, you know that a 132nd 54-millimeter figure is about two and a half inches tall, mm-hmm. right, foot to head. Uh, you know that a 75-millimeter 124th uh, scale figure is about three inches tall. So, you know, Word, I just use Word. I don't do this fancy. I know you're a master of, <laughs> of, of trickier programs than I am. But, you know, I'm a Word guy, so I just dump everything in Word. And, uh, you know, there's the ruler on the side, and I can, I can make the figure three inches or two and a half inches, and then print it out um, and position my mannequin or heranikin, uh, you know, mm-hmm. on the photo, mm-hmm. literally, and keep tweaking and tweaking and tweaking until my wire armature is, is perfect, uh, you know, as perfect as I get, and then begin uh, fleshing it out yeah. and sculpting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you want to start... That was your idea. Well, you want to start with the right foundation, right? That's... Uh, we need to get the measurements right before you... Uh, you need to get the measurements right. And as you're positioning, uh, especially, and, and this is counterintuitive, the casual pose is much harder to yeah, sculpt much harder. than the action pose, yep. right? But the action pose has to be, obviously, everything, every kind of pose has to be on. And so, you know, the a sixteenth of an inch adjustment <laughs> of a leg or an arm makes a huge difference. Sure, yeah. And it really helps to have that as a guide. You know, the, what, you'd what? be surprised, but um, I actually like using Word for that, too. Do you? Yes, because it's... I am surprised, well, because your computer skills are better than mine. If if you aren't good at, you know, math and dividing by the correct number to get a certain size or, or whatever, resizing it correctly, you can actually put a series of the images and just size them slightly differently. In Word, yes. it's so easy to copy and paste the image over and over again, make them slightly, yes. um, one slightly smaller than the next, print it out, and then you know which one is the correct size. I do that. I do do that. Yeah. I yeah. print several. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I've, I've had newspapers or posters or signs in my dioramas. And sometimes, you know, just uh, one of the reasons I like... Uh, 75 millimeter for my box dioramas is, uh, you know, Shep always did 100 millimeter, mm-hmm. right? right? Those are those are almost always. He did some 54. Those are big figures, are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he was doing them in lead. Those are heavy dioramas, okay? Um, 75 millimeter is big enough that you can really see some detail because uh, I think 
aside from your one figure boxes, you are a master at, at the 54 millimeter box. Uh, you want a little more size in a box diorama. Um, or at least I do. One of the reasons I like 74 or 124th is it's easily divisible, right? Mm. So if you know the newspaper is 12 inches or whatever, you know, and then you just divide by uh, uh, four, you know. At, at a, but, you know, often, sometimes, uh, when you're exactly to scale, it doesn't look right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can look too big or too small. Yeah. So this method of you copy the JPEG of whatever you want, let's say it's, uh, the label of a Coke bottle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You copy it, you um, uh, put it into Word, you scale it, you do two, three versions bigger, two, three versions smaller, yep. and then you print it you out. Bracket And it. you see if it's the right size. Like a photographer yeah. would say, you bracket it. Oh, bracket it. That's good. So, so, good. so, you know, that's actually one of the main reasons I like those scale cards that are no longer available. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Down this I side. will treasure mine. Well, like I said, I have two of the one thirty seconds. Yeah. Make me an offer. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, but the the best thing about them, I don't even like the. I only use the figures drawn on them as a general reference. Very yeah. general. I don't use them as the pattern to to sculpt figures. I use no. other images for that. But it's the scale along the side where it shows inches in thirty fifth scale, for example. Yes. I use that to do what you were talking about. Like, wh- how big would a beer can be in 30-second scale? And, you know, right. it's about this big. Just to get general ideas of, of the size of things as you scratch building things. General ideas. Yep. But, the you know, the exact math can betray you. It can. Um, I, I still like to start with the correct math. Oh, yeah. yeah. I try to start spot on yeah. and then often find out that's a hair too big. Yeah, yeah. I have found, this is another uh, tip I got from you, um, when in doubt about, let's say you've got two plastruct or evergreen strips that you're, you're scratching something mm-hmm. for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when in doubt, always go with the smaller one. Mm. I told you that? Always. I, no, no. This is what I get from looking at your work and watching you model. Oh. The number of times things have been just a little, even if on paper... You know, uh, I, I'm doing right now, we said we weren't going to talk this week about uh, projects in work, right, what, that we're working on, because mm-hmm. you're not working on it. <laughs> um, I shifted gears, and I was building this staircase, right? So I, tr- I, I scaled out a picture of the staircase and uh, uh, was way more elaborate with this wrought iron uh, uh, banister mm-hmm. than, than I was going to do, but I'm approximating. And then I, I you know, I, I had a piece of... of plastic strip that was perfect for the scaled down photo and then you know i'm starting to build it it's too big Mm -hmm. when in doubt go smaller Mm -hmm. in most cases i think that's right Uh, i know people who would say the opposite because sometimes you need to show something off you want it bigger in almost all cases i would rather make something slightly too small um yes because it just i think it kind of goes along with uh what's that term that people use it the jewel-like Nature of miniatures. Uh, wow, um, that's almost poetic. Where'd you pull that? No, from? I didn't make that up. No, I, I heard. <laughs> I think I, I think what I what I just heard. Say it again, Barry. You're getting me excited. <laughs> Are you in less of a bad mood than you were at the start of this yeah, episode? Slightly, yeah. I could. I try to make you laugh. No, that's. Uh, I think I just recently heard Chris Meddings talk about that with why he likes ship models. 
mm. because of their jewel-like nature with the, the tiny, nature. tiny details. And I, and I yeah. think um, if you can emphasize, I think it's always, in my opinion, it's always better to emphasize um, how small something is rather than making it too large. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, I think we've wrapped up another episode, uh, Mr. Bediger. Thank you. Thank you for working so hard on this, uh, this podcast. Uh, I think people are enjoying it, and, and it's all on you. I just show up and try to put you in a better mood than you were at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's been fun. 